Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey guys, how you doing? Joe McCall here. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Glad you're here. It's going to be a good episode. We've got a guy we've interviewed before. His name is Brian Elwood, and we're going to be talking about acquisitions managers. One of my favorite topic topics, you know, is automating and outsourcing this entire business. And Brian Elwood is one of the masters at that. He's been doing this for a while. He's been through several acquisition managers. And uh, he knows what works and what doesn't. So we're going to spend some time diving deep into that topic on this podcast. I'm looking forward to it. But first, let me tell you guys, if you like the show, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com and uh, check it out. Check the show notes out. Check out our Fast Cash Survival Kit. And also, leave us a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it. Go to iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, wherever you listen to this, and leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. I'd really appreciate it. And uh, let's just jump right in. Brian, how are you? I'm good, Joe. How about yourself? Doing real good. Awesome. You're still in Denver, right? Yep. Cool. Snowed six inches here yesterday. I'm jealous. <laughs> we interviewed you before back in the spring of 2017, episodes 179 and 183. Those were really good podcasts. You guys should listen to them. We kind of dove into... How Brian got started in the business, the trials and tribulations of being a new wholesaler and growing a business in a very difficult competitive market, how he moved to Denver and why he moved to Colorado. So I really encourage you guys to go check out episode 179 and 183. That's part one and part two of an earlier podcast we did with Brian. But I wanted to get Brian back on and just dive into more detail about how to fire yourself, right? <laughs> and in fact, Brian wrote a book about that. And uh, why, don't, why don't you give us the link to that book real quick, Brian? And then I'll, I'll we'll, we'll give you the link again at the end. Yeah, sure. So I'm giving away free copies of the book right now at fireyourself.net. Excellent. Fireyourself.net. I'm holding the book right now in my hands. Uh, how to overpower your competition, reclaim your freedom, and triple your revenue in the next 12 months by hiring a rock star acquisitions manager. And I've not read this yet, but I've read about half of it. And just kind of thumbing through it, there is a lot of really good, solid information in here. There's no fluff. This is action-packed, really good content. So, Brian, tell us a little bit about your journey. Why did you originally decide... Well, talk about your business earlier when you were living in Nashville. Then when you moved to Denver, why did you guys hire an acquisitions manager? Well, I know you didn't intend for this, but this is going to be a great plug for your coaching, Joe. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) just to kind of give you the quick story, we were flipping houses, wholesaling and rehabbing, buying rentals. Uh, The first two or three years of doing that, our gross revenue would always top out at maybe three or 400,000 a year. And that might sound like a lot of money, but I had a 50-50 business partner and we had marketing costs and stuff. So it wasn't like we were really netting all that much at the end of the day. And then we actually hired you as our coach. And this might've been a good four years ago or so now. And um, 
you took a look at our business on the very first coaching call. And I remember you said, guys, you, you should think about hiring an acquisition manager. And we were really resistant to that advice at first. I still remember how the feeling of that resistance to what you told us to do, because it was like, I got to hire someone, I got to manage them. I got to trust them to handle the leads as well as I would. But since we were paying you and you had a business that was more successful than ours, we, we took your advice and we just ran a simple Craigslist ad and hired a guy. We actually got some really good applicants kind of, by luck, which I wrote this book so that you don't have to rely on luck when finding a good acquisitions manager. So we found an awesome guy and hired him and then just kind of threw him to the wolves and put him in our place. And he was now going on appointments, making offers, leaving contracts on people's kitchen tables. Is this when you were still living in Nashville? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because another piece of advice that you gave us was, you know, if you guys want to if you guys want to invest virtually, if you guys want to wholesale virtually, do it in your own backyard first. And so we were trying to set the business up there in Nashville to where we could run it from our houses, which would then technically free us up to be anywhere, which ended up working, which is why we're in Denver now. But to get to the point, you know, it was literally probably about 11 months after we hired that acquisition manager that we were already doing over a million bucks a year in gross revenue. And that was the only thing that changed. So, you know, and, wow. and I could tell that was the thing that, that triggered that explosion in growth because before we had him, we had a massive bottleneck in our business. It was just leads, offers, analyzing leads, you know, going on appointments, following up. That, that's a full-time job for anybody. Yeah. So you can't do that job properly and do all the other parts of your business that you need to do, like marketing and having a vision and hiring other people and all that stuff. So that was such a big moment for me and in, uh, in our business. And now I'll never go back, you know, no matter what it's, I'm always putting a, an acquisition manager in between me and the sellers. Hmm. Um, Cause I find it's a much more uh, efficient technique right. than doing it yourself. Uh, it's worth the money that you pay them. And so that's why I decided to write a whole book on this topic because I felt like it's one of the biggest weaknesses that a lot of real estate investing businesses have is they don't have somebody out finding them deals full time, making offers and all that. And so that's why I wrote the book. You know what? I'm looking at this. Why don't we just cover summaries of each of these chapters? I think that would be a good place to go because the first chapter is my epiphany. And you just kind of talked about that right mm-hmm. now. The next chapter is how to find the candidates. I love your simple job posting here. I look at it and think that's it. <laughs> that's all you got to do. Work from home, set your own hours, make 50,000 plus. Uh, um, so talk about how to find the candidates. Sure. So um, you basically in the book, there's the job posting, like you said, that you need to run. So you can pretty much just copy it and put your own company information in there. And then you put it on Craigslist slash Indeed or Monster, whatever kind of platform you like to use and build out um, a hiring funnel. And you, I think it was Sean Terry who deserves the credit for this funnel. Yeah. He kind of came out and said, this is the best way to do it. So the hiring funnel just looks like in that job ad, it says step one, send your resume. Step two, go to this link, fill out a survey on SurveyMonkey. 
And step three, send us a short video or post it on YouTube. Just introduce yourself and say why you'd be a good fit for the job. I love these hiring funnels. I use them for everything I ever hire for because anytime you post a job ad, you get 100 resumes and it's all these lazy people that just hit reply and say, resume attached. Yep, yep. And then you maybe get 25 people who uh, also fill out the survey, which you can create on SurveyMonkey for free, just five to 10 questions that you'd like to know about them. But then only three to five of those will also complete step three, which is sending you a video. Yep. And so all I have to do is look at the videos. And then if I like them, I go back and look at the SurveyMonkey stuff and back and look at the resume. And, so, and when, before I knew about that, I had to look through a hundred different resumes and resumes are boring to look at. They don't really tell you that much about a person, right. but a video tells you so much more, which is amazing. So we run this job ad, which contains the, the funnel. So you have to just kind of set up the survey and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you'll get your candidates pouring in. Yeah, this looks really good. I mean, this post is so detailed and uh, it's very personal. It doesn't look professional. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It, it looks very. It looks like a great fun company to work with, and uh, yeah, I like the detailed step by steps of what the requirements are because then you're eliminating people that don't know how to follow instructions, right? Yeah, and I, I hope I'm able to. I was able to do this, but this act, this style of job posting is actually the one that Keller Williams uses. You can see their ads all over Craigslist in any market. Oh yeah, it says you know. At our company, you can. At our company, you will. At our company, you must. And I didn't think it would be a problem to copy just those headers of yeah. their job yeah. posting because everything else is different. You know what what you must do, can do, etc. So that's actually where we got the idea for this style of a job posting. Because if Keller Williams uses it, then it's probably working. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> All right, so you get some uh, good applicants in. How do you interview them? This is the third chapter. How do you interview them? So what I usually do is set up phone interviews first based upon the videos that come in. I'll say, you know, those three are worth a phone interview. And so our office manager will schedule those. And the phone interviews are just a quick kind of 20-minute interview to talk to the person more in depth I have the phone interview questions that I feel are good to ask somebody in the book. Mm -hmm. And they're some pretty good job interview questions. But really, you're you're still pre-qualifying people for the in-person interview. So I say in the book, you may need to interview about four to eight people over the phone to end up with about two to three in-person interview candidates. The in-person interviews are really where it all happens, where the, you know, the decision is made. So you don't have to stress the, um, the phone interview too much. You just want to qualify people and say, you know what? I like this guy or girl. Let's meet in person. Uh, and so then once you do that, you schedule the in-person interviews and, um, you know, in the early days, Frank and I, there's the, the nicest hotel in Nashville is Hotel Omni. It's really nice. It's got big leather couches and fireplaces and leather bound books in the wall and stuff like that. And so we would always do our in-person interviews in the lobby of the Omni made us look cool. Yeah. Even though we were just using their space basically. 
So you can do that. Just pick a fancy hotel and just meet in the lobby um, with your, your candidates. If you have someone else that needs to be part of the decision making, have them there for the interview as well. And then, you know, again, in the book, I have all of the in-person interview questions uh, that you need to ask. Those interviews take more 30, like 30 to 60 minutes. And the questions you'll have to ask in the in-person interviews are kind of tough. You have to really see if they can sell or not. So you you don't want to skip over stuff like, like I might ask an interview, how do I know you could close a sale? And then even if I get the best answer in the world, I say, I'm still not convinced Mm -hmm. and just shut up. And then they, they, they reply, you know what? I'm still really not convinced and just kind of see how they handle pressure. That's really important because they're going to be dealing with pressure out in the field all the time working with sellers. Yeah. So if your candidates kind of fold on you and they just say, well, I guess I can't convince you then, then that's the exact same thing they're going to do. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Leads. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that somebody did that to me back. Like I quit my job in 2009, but back in 2007, I was hungry, wanting to do real estate. And I saw a job posting similar to what you had on Craigslist mm-hmm. and I applied for it. And I went to the guy's office. I was in between companies at the time, or almost in between. And I sat down with the guy, and he only asked me a couple of questions, and he just said the same thing. I, I don't think you've got what it takes. <laughs> and he stared at me, and I was so uncomfortable. And uh, I said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I got up, and I thought, that guy was the biggest jerk. But then I realized, I, I thought about that for years, and then I got some sales training. And uh, I forget who it was, but they talked about that similar strategy. And that guy was doing the same thing to me. And uh, it it was kind of funny, though, because it really pushed my buttons. And I thought, I'm going to prove that guy wrong, that I do do have what it takes. And so a couple years later, I was able to quit my job. (laughs) But (laughs) I was definitely, and I've, I've never admitted to being a good salesman, but that is a fantastic question because the, that will eliminate the, the people who are not good at sales and you want an acquisitions manager who's good at sales. Absolutely. And if you feel real uncomfortable putting pressure on someone like that, then just remember you can tell them afterwards what you were doing. You can yeah. be like, I was just seeing how you handled pressure there. I, I actually was pretty impressed by you, but you need to, you need to put pressure on them for sure. Oh, that's really important. And that makes some people uncomfortable, but that's really good. Okay. So talk about how you pay them. So the kind of industry standard from everything I've seen is some, everyone kind of falls somewhere in that eight to 15% range, meaning eight to 15% commission on the gross profit on the deal. So if you're paying them 10%, the deal's 20,000, they would get $2,000. You can change that basically to reflect whatever your company needs or can afford uh, you also usually want to offer a draw if you can afford it. Draw is basically just a weekly salary that they have to pay back out of their commissions in the future. Because a lot of people don't want to sign up for a commission-only job when they know they're going to have to go a good 60 days until closings start coming in without getting paid. They'd rather start to get some of their money up front and then you deduct what they owe you out of future commissions but never pay them draw for more than 60 or 90 days. Uh, they should be 
getting contracts signed, have closings coming up by then. So that's essentially how you pay them. But, you know, a lot of people read the book and they say, well, I'm not really doing a lot of marketing. I don't have a lot of leads. I don't really know if I am ready for an acquisitions manager. Uh, and that's, that's a big, big objection to making this hire. But honestly, I would hire an acquisitions manager, even if I had zero leads and zero dollars for marketing, just to give you an extreme example, I would just run the job ad and just talk to all the candidates and be like, look, you know, don't quit your day job, but I'm starting something over here. If you can work for me even five hours a week, I'll cut you in 50% on the first five deals or whatever, you know, so they have a really big upside, whatever you need to do because everything's negotiable to make this, you know, make sense. You can do, you don't have to go right to 10 or 15% on every deal. The key is really just having someone in this role and how, how much it'll do for your company. This is a fantastic idea. I think, I don't know if people are are getting this. <laughs> like I want to thump the mic and say, are you guys paying attention? Because that trips up so many people, doesn't it? They feel like they have to have, a ton of marketing going out the door right now, or they've got to have all of these systems built and everything set up before you hire somebody. And that's not always the case. It's not always the case. I mean, it's like having kids. If you wait until you can afford them, you'll never have kids, <laughs> right? Are you married, mm-hmm. Brian? Do you mind if I ask? Yeah, I got engaged a few months ago. I'm getting married next year. Congratulations, man. Thanks. Uh, do you like kids? Uh, yeah, we're definitely going to have some kids okay, in sure. a couple years. And you've told me actually more than once that I need to have kids. <laughs> I love I love kids, right? I mean, my uh, son, he just turned 14. He had a birthday party uh, over the weekend. And he, you know what he wanted? He wanted to test drive a Tesla. But he can't drive, so I made the sacrifice and test drove the Tesla myself. But it's so <laughs> it's so funny. The kids are awesome. But if if you wait until you can afford them, you'll never have them. Or if you wait until you're ready or mature enough to have kids, you'll just you'll never be mature enough, right? It's going to come at mm-hmm. you, and you mature as you go. But it's the same kind of I think in business for the most part, they don't have to be full time for you. And there's a lot of people out there right now that that would be great candidates for acquisition managers that are still working a, a job, that have the time to take the calls and meet with sellers. So yeah, I mean when I hired my first acquisitions manager. Uh, I was doing a little bit of marketing, not a ton. My goal was after I hired him to really ramp up the marketing slowly, but I had the resources and I decided, all right, so now I got somebody that can take all these calls. I'm going to get him started. We'll do some cheaper free type of marketing first to get him practice. But then we, as we grew it and it got bigger and bigger, it was pretty quick. We were able to um, get him ramped up. And for him, if anybody's curious, he was working at Home Depot part-time. And so to get his wife approval his wife's approval, I had to agree to pay him part-time. So I paid him like eight bucks an hour. I'm sorry, minimum wage. I paid him minimum wage. I think it was like 15% that I paid him. But that the, the minimum wage I was paying him came out of that 15%, if that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, it worked really well. It was awesome. It's, okay, yeah, good. That's amazing. You have a contest that you have these guys. When you got two or three people – you make them do a little contest and you also make them take some personality tests, right? Yeah. So this contest idea, we actually discovered it when hiring a different position of a lead manager. 
we basically gave two different guys about a hundred leads each. And we said, analyze all these, you know, you have till Friday and tell us what you, you know, you think we should offer or whatever. And cause that's kind of what the duties of that role were. And one guy out of the bunch really stood out over the rest. And we said, wow, you know, he's the clear one we should hire. And he turned out to be a rock star. So we started doing that for acquisition manager hires too. You basically just, you know, give them, give them each a handful of leads. So if you get, if you do the in-person interviews and you're still, you know, really whether or not you're torn between two or three people, or you only have one person you're considering, you need to do this step. You give them some actual leads to work, just give them one week and give them instructions. Like call these people, find out their motivation, you know, make offers or whatever. And then on Friday, you see how each of them did and how they kind of compared to each other. You'll find that your favorite guy that you were thinking about hiring, he'll quit on Tuesday and you'll never hear from him again. And you'll be really glad you did the contest because he showed his true colors. Like he wasn't really cut out for the job. He was just good at interviewing. And then somebody will surprise you and do really great. And that's usually who you'll hire. So these contests are like a little mini glimpse into how they actually work. So I always recommend you set these up. And, um, you know, if you don't have, if you don't have leads, then just have them call everything that's on the MLS, on FISBO, on Zillow, everything that the wholesalers are sending out. There's always stuff to make offers on. And that's a point I wanted to make to what we were originally talking about is that if you're worried because you don't have any leads, well, what about all the stuff that's already out there? Are you making offers on that stuff? Most people aren't, as you know. And so when you have an acquisition manager, they can do that. Like every Tuesday, they can call every wholesaler in your market and say, hey, what do you have? I'm buying. And the wholesaler sends it over. And then the acquisition manager sends back real offers on everything same day. I don't know why, Brian, I don't know why people don't do that. It blows my mind. They, they get an email property across their desk and they just delete the email. Oh, it's, they're asking too much. Mm-hmm. Why, why don't you make an offer on that property? If they're asking too much, they're not going to sell it. And they're going to go back to the seller and, and cancel the contract. Wouldn't it be better if they went back to the seller and said, you know what? I can't buy it at this price, but I, have, I can buy it at this price. And they know that they have your offer. They can, you know. Yeah, I think other wholesalers are one of the most overlooked resources for making this business work. Because you know, we teach people to go out and spend their own money on marketing to generate all these leads and then to comb through all these leads to find the one that's a deal and then go meet with the seller and get it under contract. And all that usually costs like two or $3,000 in marketing plus a bunch of time. And we finally get a contract. Well, other people are doing that whole process for you and spending their own money and time and just coming with the end product of the contract. And they're only just putting their spread on there, which is worth paying to not have to do it all yourself. Not that you shouldn't do both, but if you're not already offering on everything that's available from other wholesalers, then why even start to spend your own money on marketing? You know, why not just put that simple system in place first? It's free and you already have a bunch of deals to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really smart. Just get on every wholesaler's list, network, network, network. Yeah, they're doing the same stuff we're doing. So why not, you know, see what they've got? Good, good. All right. So talk about personality tests. 
Yeah, so there's two tests, the Colby test and the DISC test. Uh, I go over in the book exactly what you need to do. The DISC test is free. Tony Robbins has it for free on his website. On that one, you're looking for a high DI, D D meaning dominant, and I meaning influence. That type of personality is what you want for an acquisition manager. And then with the um, Colby test, it's about 50 bucks to do it. And you're looking for someone who's high quick start. Yeah, That's crucial. You don't want uh, an acquisition manager, excuse me, who sits at home and overanalyzes things all day long. You want the guy who's like, yeah, I didn't really run the numbers exactly, but I, I made 10 offers today. Like you want the guy who just takes a massive action. He's really quick start, not bugging you all the time. And so you take, have them take that test up front. It'll save you a lot of headaches, you know, in the end, cause you have to make sure you hire the right person. That's very good. I was just trying to remember, I took the disc and the Colby test. I need to go look at how I did. <laughs> I don't know You're if- probably at least a six on the quick start scale. Cause most of the most business owners are high quick start with not a lot of follow through, <laughs> which is why they need people around them to help pick up the pieces. Yeah. 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 Good. All right. So, uh, background check. How, how do you do the background check? I've never actually done it myself. Our office managers always done it. You just order it online. They cost 50 bucks. And yeah, one t- the reason we started doing them is because we hired a guy for a different position. It was, he was actually our renovations manager. And one day we discovered that he had written himself a couple of checks for a total of 15 grand. We still haven't gotten that money back. We, we, we pressed charges against him and stuff, but, um, we did the background check after the fact, just, you know, curious and found out he was a multiple fella and he had been convicted of check fraud before and all this stuff. And so, we could have spent 50 bucks and avoided that whole mess by just doing the background check before we hired him. So we'll never make that mistake again. You know, I'm looking at my um, Colby test here and these bars look kind of weird. <laughs> Cause like it, the, the high, the low scores are high on the bar. Uh, anyway, I have to show this to you, but I, I scored a three on a quick start. Interesting. So I would not be a good acquisitions manager. No. <laughs> well, you are pretty tech minded. Like yeah. what did you score high on? Fact finder. Okay. And uh I was low on implementer. I was a th- that doesn't make sense. I thought I was a good implementer. Oh, I must not have had my coffee that day or something. I'll have to take this again. Yeah, yeah. The tests aren't, you know, <laughs> bulletproof, but they're definitely worth the money. All right, all right, let's move on here. You do a non compete contract, right? Right. Sign the non-compete. That way they can't just kind of take your whole business model and steal it from you and copy it the next day in your own backyard. Usually you ask for two years where they won't, you know, compete with you in your own market. All right, good. Talk about uh, onboarding them and training your acquisition managers. How do you manage them? So we hired John Martinez to train our acquisition managers. You know, I think two two acquisition managers went through his training and his really website. Good. If anybody's interested, uh, if you just Google John Martinez sales training, you'll probably find it. But I think his website is Midwest 
Revenue. Rev. R-E-V dot yeah. com. MidwestRev.com. Yeah. Just Google him. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah, yeah. You'll be able to find him. Uh, he's REI Sales Academy is another thing he has, but he's crushing it teaching, you know, because he specializes in uh, sales training for acquisition managers, not just blanket sales training. So he understands how our businesses work and the challenges we have. So, so we brought this, him uh, in. Is this just a course that the your acquisition managers go through or is it one-on-one training? We did um, some one-on-one, but at that time he was kind of transitioning to the group coaching model because his business was growing. So I think right now it's group coaching plus a bunch of training modules that you get access to online. Okay. So you have your acquisition managers go through some kind of training because sales training is some of the best high leverage activity you can do. You know, I always say if your guy's going on 10 appointments, uh, but he's only bringing back one contract, so he's got a 10% conversion rate and you can get him sales training to where he now brings back two contracts for every 10 appointments. So now he doubled his conversion rate to 20%. Well, you just double your business without any extra marketing money, without any extra leads, just because you learn, he learns how to negotiate. That's why they say negotiation is the highest ROI skill you can learn. You might've heard some version of that before. It's true. So they need to learn some sales skills if they don't have any. Uh, then you also, you know, either you or someone in your company actually needs to manage them, meet with them once a week for an hour and go over the challenges they're having, look at all their KPIs, how many phone calls did they make, how many appointments did they go on, how many offers did they make, and how many contracts did they get signed. That's how you keep your finger on the pulse of if they're doing a good job or not. Um, It's really critical that you manage your acquisition manager. You don't just let them run rampant and sit back and hope that it's going to work out. You have to be the manager once you outsource that position. Let me let me rewind and retract a little bit here. When you hire an acquisitions manager, you want somebody local in that market, right? Yes. we Some guys do it all over the phone, um, but we've always done boots on the ground, going to people's houses, you know. Okay, good. So even though you're in Denver, you're doing deals in Tennessee, let's say, you want somebody local. Have you ever hired an acquisitions manager that is does this over the phone? No, because my model has never been over the phone yeah, type sales, yeah, good. you know? So, and, and since I invest virtually now, like I'm never going to start investing in Denver. It's way too expensive here right now. I always have to hire someone in that market basically to do it for me because I'm never going to be there myself. Okay. I like that. And what are some of the KPIs that to watch? KPIs, you know, so... One thing to do is link your acquisition manager's phone to whatever phone service provider you use. We use TalkDesk. And then the calls that they make are tracked via TalkDesk. And so you want to see how many outbound calls they're making uh, each week. Because if they're not going on a bunch of appointments for some reason, then they should be trying to generate appointments, right? So you can always kind of see where their activity is. So outbound calls, then appointments attended, how many people did they actually meet with? How many offers, written offers did they actually make? 
each week and how many contracts did they get signed. Those are the main KPIs that we always look at. Nice. Another question I thought of while you were talking about that, the sales training that they go through, uh, is the sales training mainly geared towards just making cash offers or can you also have them do creative financing offers, more like a lease purchase option? Does that make sense? The sales training doesn't distinguish between the two. It's just more sales training on how to, you know, pre-frame and how to warm them up and how to uncover their pain and how to sell what you're selling. It doesn't go into um, like how to structure a seller financing offer or a lease option offer versus cash. That's something that you're going to have to kind of teach your acquisition manager to do based upon what your goals are. Yeah. Okay, good. So the KPIs, going back to what we were just talking about, outbound calls, appointments, offers made, contracts signed. Real simple. Those four things. Okay, good. Make a lot of appointments. You know, not allowing them to just sit back and wait for a lay down deal, right? You want them to be aggressive, making appointments, making phone calls. Yeah, there was a point where this this epiphany kind of started hitting the the podcast circuit and the mastermind groups. Everyone was kind of like, oh, you know, turns out like we were just kind of having our acquisition guys wait and go on the hot appointments with the, with the hot leads, you know, where it was obvious they were going to get the contract signed and they spent the rest of the time on the phone. But then we decided to just fill their whole week up with appointments and we, you know, doubled our business basically. And that's because really the best thing, really the, at the end of the day, the reason you're paying your acquisition manager is to go meet with people in person and make them offers that's the main thing you want them to be doing all week. So I always uh, try to get our acquisition manager to go on somewhere around 10 to 12 appointments every week because you wouldn't believe how often you talk to someone on the phone who says, I want $200,000 for my house. And it's a ridiculous number and they know they'll never get it. And a lot of times you'll just say, ah, well, you're crazy. I'll call you back in a month. <laughs> but if you actually say, well, can I come see it? You know, if, and if they agree to let you come see the house, then first of all, that shows motivation. Yeah. And then when the acquisition manager is there, it changes everything. Like they, they get to meet the person, they shake hands and and they, you know, if they like and trust your acquisition manager, their walls come down. And so they might say, well, look, I'd really take a hundred thousand for this. Um, if you, can close in two weeks or whatever. That's happened to us so many times just from going on the appointment because when they talk to you on the phone, they have no idea who you are. You're just some random dude on the other end of the phone, right? They don't trust you. So you need to go meet people in person. And if nothing else, it really improves your acquisition manager's sales skills because they do it over and over and over again. They get over their fears. They get good at sticking to the scripts. They get practice. So it's good not only because you're going to get more contracts, but your sales guy is going to get better at selling. Always, you know, high appointments. Like if I, if I see my guys going on 10 or more appointments a week, I'm, I'm happy. And that's a really important KPI for me. Nice. Okay, so I'm reading here in your book, you say 12 appointments max. That's a good thing to shoot for, right? 
a week, yeah, a week more than that. And you starts to dilute the quality of the appointments because they're trying to go on too many and they can't spend enough time at each one. So no more than 12. And that's something that John taught us. Okay. Very, very good. And you talk about uh, continual sales training. Always make sure that the, they're, they're being trained on going on sales, right? Yeah. Sales training never ends. Just like anything else. If you want to keep improving, you have to keep sharpening the saw. And so money spent on sales coaching, sales training courses, books, whatever, it's always going to come back to you times 10 or times 100 because the cost of that kind of stuff is really cheap compared to what it can give you. So don't just stop educating yourself on sales ever. Good, good. Well, okay, let's the the uh, your book here talks about more ninja sales tricks to get more contracts. Talk about some of your, give us a couple of your favorite uh, ninja sales tricks to get more contracts. Let's see. Okay, just a couple quick ones because I know we need to kind of move along. Going for the no yeah. is an, an awesome technique. I think I heard Todd Toback talk about this on maybe your podcast or someone's podcast recently. Where you, you know, you're basically, we're all so scared that we're going to run somebody off when we're on the phone with them that we dance around these, you know, questions that could result in the, the seller saying no, you know, and hanging up the phone. But really, true salesmen know that getting 10 no's mean that, you know, you're that much closer to getting a yes. And, you need to weed out the people who are were never going to be a good fit for you in the first place as early as possible in the relationship because otherwise you waste a ton of time yeah. talking to them and a year goes by and you're still following up with this seller who's not serious about selling and you're still, you know, walking on eggshells around him and you you just need to get to the point like are we a good fit or not, right? Um and, and you'll, you'll be much more efficient that way. So your sales guy should ask questions like, seems like a nice property. Why don't you just list it with a realtor? Mm-hmm. You know, and then, and then if they say, you know what, that is probably what I'm going to do anyways, then say, all right, well, good luck with that. Call me. If that changes. Maybe you could still send them an offer or whatever, Yeah. but you, you found out you, you saw their true colors right away versus waiting weeks, months, years, who knows how long it could have taken you to find out that they were never serious about selling to an investor anyways. You could say something like, I'm not going to be able to offer anywhere close to what you're asking, Mr. Seller. It doesn't seem like we should do business together, does it? And then just <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right. I mean, you're get, you're at least you're getting to the point. You're being honest. Um, so going for the no is great. And then advance agreements is another term that's commonly used in the sales training world. Uh, we did Sandler training uh, along with John's training okay. uh, and, it, and they called advance agreements upfront contracts. So with these, you basically just set the stage for what's going to happen. Like Mr. Seller, when I come to your property, I'm going to run a repair estimate so I can give you the fairest offer possible. Once I do that, I won't leave the appointment without giving you an offer. Does that sound good? You might say, if I ask you a question, Mr. Seller, that you're not comfortable answering, will you tell me that? Yeah. If I decide to buy your property and I leave you an offer, will you be able to tell me 
yes or no that I day. It. I love it. Quite, right. Those kinds of questions. It's, it's, it's a very subtle way of maintaining control of the relate, the interaction and the relationship. Cause you do it with questions, you know, you so you're not, you're kind of being dominant, but not really, you're not just telling them what to do. You're asking their permission. So they know what to expect. They agree. Um, you know, I even do this in my education business. If I talk to a potential client that's going to be coaching with me and they're, they're like, I need to think about it. And I'm like, well, what's a fair amount of time for you to think about it and give me a firm yes or no, just so I'll know. Yeah. Oh, I can do that by Thursday. All right. So are we in agreement that on Thursday at noon, you'll give me a call back and, and tell me yes or no. Is that fair? Yes. So I'm, I'm setting advance agreements for what's going to happen in the future rather than just leaving things open ended. You never want to just leave the contract with them and say, call me, you know, no, that's, a, that's, the, <laughs> that's worst. the worst. So you need to understand that concept. I go into it more in the book, but it's, it's powerful. Really good. You give a list of about oh, a dozen questions that are phenomenal. Really, really good. Okay. So let's end this with a few more tips on getting more leads to your acquisitions manager. You talk a lot about networking. I like that. Talk about that a little bit, would you? Yeah. So like we kind of said earlier, the wholesaler network is where I would focus first because they're the ones that are out there looking for off-market deals, putting them under contract and bringing them to you. So you need to treat your wholesalers really well. You can even do weekly webinars in your market where you teach people how to find deals and stuff like that. So you can build up an army of bird dogs that are working for you. As you, as you know, webinars are really cheap. You know, we've done that before. Like our, our, we called it freelance lead agent webinar, but it's kind of a weird way of just saying bird dog. And then property managers, attorneys, other investors, title companies, realtors. I mean, Joe, I was on a podcast the other day and the guy said it was that quick little question rundown. Like, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite quote? What's your favorite website? Yeah. His question was, what's your favorite website, website for business? And I said, Facebook. And he was kind of like, oh, that's a weird answer. But it really, if you think about it, it's not a weird answer. Facebook is a goldmine for everything nowadays, business related. I mean, my education business, I log into Facebook now and there's all these messages from people, you know, that relates to the education business. There's Facebook ads that are running and getting comments and likes. Facebook is a goldmine for everything. And our local RIA Facebook group in Nashville is awesome. People are posting deals on there all the time. I saw a post on there where someone said, Hey, all the wholesalers, you know, give me your email address. I'm looking to buy. And there was literally 25 comments within one day of people who left their email addresses. And you used to have to go to the RIA meetings and hand out business cards. And maybe you'd get 25 business cards over like two or three meetings. And they were once a month. Now you can post on Facebook and within one day you get all of the people that you need to know as far as networking goes. Mm -hmm. So that's such an underutilized tool. You know, just get on your local Facebook group and start asking, Hey, good property managers looking for good real estate attorneys, looking for all the wholesalers in the area. And you're, you're essentially building an email list for free that you can then email for free and ask if they have any deals. So that's a great way to start. Well, even uh-huh. the uh, the local buy-sell trade groups. 
right? Mm -hmm. Every city has those local buy, sell, trade, and you can sometimes sell your properties on there. Uh, you can post maybe sometimes an ad. Hey, anybody got a house they want to sell? I'm looking to buy right now. Fantastic strategies. Yeah. So that's really all I talk about in the book. Obviously, we do direct mail, PPC, all the, the other kind of self-generated stuff. But I kind of wrote the book more towards, you know, just to beginners, letting people know that even if you're not spending tons of money on your own marketing, there's ways to find leads for your acquisition manager to make offers on. And defining your criteria is super important. You don't want your acquisition manager to make offers on a $500,000 house, obviously, if you will have any use for that. So everything that's out there, they need to be kind of putting it into a funnel and making offers on the only things that fit your criteria. So again, for sale by owner, MLS, Craigslist, anything that's on Zillow, those are just great ways to kind of get the ball rolling to get your guys some leads. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right. So this book is called Fire Yourself. And the link to get this book for free, I believe you charge shipping and handling. Is that right, Brian? Yeah, I'm charging what it costs me to ship out, which is $7.95 per book. And it's like the print and ship cost for me, basically. Yeah, so this book is uh, just chock full of really good stuff. So go to uh, fireyourself.net. Is that right? Fireyourself.net. You got it. Really, really good. Fireyourself.net. I'd encourage you to get that. And Brian, you have a new podcast too, right? Yeah, it's called the Virtual Real Estate Investing Podcast. Love it. The Virtual Real Estate Investing Podcast. And where do people go to get that? I guess you just go to iTunes and search for that or my name, Brian Elwood, uh, B-R-I-A-N-E-L-L-W-O-O-D. Nice. Yep. Should pop up. Good. Very good. Well, thanks, Brian. Any uh, further last piece of advice you'd want to give to somebody who's thinking about doing what we or implementing some of what we talked about? I don't know what else to say other than just do it. Well, get the book. <laughs> get the book because yeah. it has everything that I could possibly teach about this topic all within the book. And it's also a pretty fast read. It's oh, only yeah. about 70 pages and there's no fluff. It's just actionable content. I yeah. mean, there's a little bit, there's one chapter where I introduce myself, but get the book. And also just remember that, you know, when you're out there promising an acquisition manager, 40 or 50 or whatever, more thousand dollars a year to work for you and all that stuff. And that's not money that they're going to make all up front. That's over the course of the year. So your, your risk threshold is really low on this because you know, you, you could hire someone and just try it for one or two or three months. And if you absolutely fail, you know, and even if you agreed to pay them draw during that whole time, the worst case scenario is you might be out a couple thousand bucks or something, yeah. but you're going to be a lot smarter after that. And it's not likely that uh, that'll happen if you follow all the steps in the book. So yeah, just go out and do it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian. Again, guys, fireyourself.net. Go get this book. It's really good. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Joe. 